Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word these next few moments, we pray that, again, we would hear your words. We do not take for granted the freedom we have to come to worship as we please, to open your word, to proclaim it, and to share it together. We thank you for the beautiful music we have shared in this morning, especially this time of year, Lord, these songs that are so meaningful and so beautiful as we lift our voices in praise and worship for you alone are worthy. We pray your presence of your Holy Spirit now as we look into your word. In Christ's name, amen. It's good to have uh, so many of our uh, young adults home. I'm not going to try to name them all because I'll miss somebody. Uh, we have many here who are home visiting, others who have come home uh, for the Christmas holidays, and we're good and glad to have you uh, with us. And we think back on uh, you know, the time in life when, when we uh, left home to go to college or maybe start your first job, the military, whatever. You think back on your life and the plans you had, and has your life taken any turns, any turns in the road that uh, you didn't anticipate or expect? Has God allowed your roads, your travels to go places where you hadn't thought they would have gone? Maybe you wouldn't have chosen that they go this way, but uh, for some reason, uh, God has either allowed it, God has directed it, God has used it in your life. This past month, we've also been, as we look at Advent, we've been looking each week at a connection with the story of Israel going from the promised land, going from Egypt to the promised land as part of our connection with the Advent this year of our Lord coming, our salvation story in the New Testament. I'd like to ask you to just briefly look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 for a moment. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is the, the, the context as you turn there in your Bibles is this is the uh, last of the books of Moses and uh, Deuteronomy simply means the second telling of the law. And they have now traveled for uh, the 40 years plus they've left Egypt. They were wandered in the wilderness for 40 years in the Sinai Peninsula. They have now come up on the eastern side of the Jordan River and they are about to enter the land of promise after all these years. A whole new generation has arisen in Israel. The only left from the old generation, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb, as the rest have died in the wilderness. And as they are poised to enter the promised land, Moses, before he dies, as God's not going to allow him to go into the promised land, before he dies, he, re- he retells their story And he retells and gives them once again the Mosaic Law. And this is why it's called Deuteronomy, the second reading of the law. And just before he begins to uh, repeat the law for them, in verse 1 of chapter 8, Be careful, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, 
and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know that in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. And you'll notice that uh, Moses specifically says that the reason God took you through these, this wilderness, this Sinai Peninsula, we know that Israel sinned. We know that God offered them the chance to go into the land. And they sinned, and instead they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, if you read early on the story in Exodus, when they left Egypt, if you were to look at a map today of, of uh, the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea along Egypt and Israel, and you would obviously see the quickest way from Egypt to Israel is the coastal highway. Uh, there was a coastal highway in those days. It was the trade route. It was the quickest and the most natural uh, way you would travel from Egypt to Israel. And yet even before they sinned, God said, I took you inland. I took you a different way because I knew if you went that way, you would encounter war and you would be frightened and turn back. Instead, I took you into the desert. And in doing so, of course, in the Sinai Peninsula, after they stayed at Mount Sinai for a year, and then they refused to go in the land. And notice what God says here. He did this. He permitted it. He did this. He led them for two reasons, to humble them and to test them, to humble them and to test them. Today, our Advent theme, as we've lit in the candle, is humbleness, humility. You know, this is a theme throughout the Bible. Think of the people that God called uh, throughout history. Think of how unexpected everything that happened that happened. Noah. It simply says he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a priest. He didn't lead an army, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God used him and began anew. Moses, when God called Moses, he was 80 years old. He was a shepherd in Midian. He had no intention of ever going back to Egypt. And he had no intention of leading the people out of Egypt into Israel, even when God called him, he basically, as Gary reminded us the first Sunday of Advent, that Moses basically said, no, I'm not going to do it. Send somebody else to do it. He was the least likely candidate. Samuel, the prophet, when he was a little boy and God called him. King Saul, when God called King Saul, do you remember when they went to anoint him? Do you remember where he was? He was hiding under a donkey cart. Because he didn't want to be the king of Israel. He was the least likely person. King David. When God sent Samuel to David's family. And, and he told his father Jesse. Bring all of your sons out. Because one of them is going to be anointed the next king of Israel. I have rejected King Saul because of his sin. And if you remember the story. David or Jesse brought all of his sons out. Samuel looked at the first one, Eliab, and said, Aha, there he is. Surely this is God's anointed. Why? He was the most likely candidate. He was tall. He was strong. He looked like he would fit the bill. And God says, No, that's not him. You're looking at the outside. I'm looking at the heart. And all the sons came before Samuel. And God chose none of them. And finally, 
Samuel says, Jesse, is this all of your sons? Oh, yeah. There's one out in the keeping care of the sheep. Samuel didn't even, Jesse didn't even think enough of his own son, David, to invite him when he was specifically told, bring your sons. It's like he forgot about David. And the minute David walks in, God says, that's him. That's him. Rise up and anoint him. The prophets, one after another, were the people least likely to be used by God. They were fig farmers. They were shepherds. They were average people. We come to our Christmas story, and we've been reminded this morning that every character in this story was probably the least likely person or people to be the ones that God would use to bring the king of the universe, the Messiah to Israel, to set up his glorious and powerful kingdom. I wonder, as we look back on our lives, and we look at the roads that we've taken, has God used, like with Israel in the wilderness, has God used some of those twists and turns and roads in our life to humble us? As you look back over your life, has it been those challenging, those unexpected, those probably least likely to be chosen paths that God has used to soften us, to make us sensitive to others who are going through similar situations? Has God used our paths like he did with Israel in the peninsula of Sinai to humble them? And to remind them, remember, you didn't even have anything to eat. I brought you out here and I put you in a place where you had no food. I chose to do that. I chose to put you in a place where you had nothing to eat. And you came to your wit's end and were ready to rebel against Moses because he brought you out here. And it's when you came to the point where there were no other options I gave you manna in the wilderness, and you ate it for 40 years. I gave you clothes that should have worn out, but they didn't. I, imagine that. They walked for 40 years. I have a pair of shoes that are um, made in America, in Michigan, you know, Wolverine shoes. They're 1,000-mile shoes. They're good for 1,000 miles. I haven't really been keeping track. I'm not sure how many more miles i got left on those shoes. But they're good for 1,000 miles. And they're going to wear out. Somewhere about 999 miles, they're probably going to fall off my feet or something. But they, they walked in the wilderness, and their shoes didn't, their sandals never wore out. Their clothes never got threadbare. It was a miracle. But God provided this to humble them and to remind them that they should be dependent on Him for everything. As we come to the Christmas story, I think, you think of all the characters in the Christmas story. Think of Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, just average people. He also was in the, in the Aaronic family. He was a priest, but he was not the high priest. He was not the one who had any political power at all like the high priest of Israel had. He was just another priest that God chose to bear John the Baptist. We think of Joseph, and we know that he was a carpenter. He was a working man from up, from up north in Nazareth. He was a common, everyday person who was the least likely to be the father in the family to where the Messiah would be born. We think of the angels. 
of the shepherds that were visited by the angels. And you think of these shepherds out in the hills, really one of the least thought of occupations. It was really low on the social standing to be a shepherd. Uh, in fact, in some of the cultures there, remember in Egypt, when, when Joseph came down, brought his family down, he says, don't tell them you're shepherds because that's an abomination to the Egyptians. They were pretty low on the social standard in a lot of cultures. But it was to the shepherds who were the first ones to hear from the angels that night of the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Humble shepherds. And then we think of Mary. You know, in Luke chapter 1, in the Magnificat, the psalm, the hymn that Mary uh, sang to God. In, in uh, Luke chapter 1, we have the story of Mary this very young girl, most likely a teenage girl, who came from a common family, who was nobody in Israel, the least likely, but God called her for his purpose. And you know the story of, of Mary's calling in Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married, betrothed to be married. It was, we might think of it in terms of engagement, but it was actually more of a legal contract to be married. It wasn't like today where an engagement can be broken off and there's no legal ramifications. They were legally married, but they weren't living together yet. It's a betrothal period. She was betrothed to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to name him, give him the name Jesus, same name as Joshua, Yeshua in the Old Testament. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Ever. His kingdom will never be. And Mary says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel explains the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of God will overshadow her. And the Holy One will be called the Son of God. And, and really, one of the most amazing statements of faith in all of Scripture. I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, how, how, this, is ne- this was not prophesied in the Old Testament in terms of their understanding. You, no one got this from the Old Testament. No one got this. Even though there, it is there in Isaiah. And as you see it in the New Testament, it comes together. But none of the rabbis, none of the teachers ever taught this, that a a, a virgin would actually conceive and bear a son, and the son would actually be God, would be the holy God. The Messiah was going to be the Messiah, but here he's going to be the Messiah, but he's also God. This was astounding. This is beyond astounding. And, you know, we've got we've got people like Zacharias who, who, who questions God. You've got Moses who says, God, I'm not going. You've got others in the Bible that, that, that hesitate. But, but you've got Peter that denies Christ three times in the garden. But look what it, what it says here. Mary's response was simply, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to you as you have said. She just simply said yes to God. I believe you. I understand it, but I believe you. 
Okay. It's an amazing statement of faith from this young girl. This young girl, somebody the same age as our teenagers in our youth department. And she sings a song after she sees Elizabeth. And they join together. And in this song that she sings, you'll notice in verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. The humble. See, the word humble, our word today for our Advent reading and our Advent considerations, if you're doing your readings this week, if you're using the booklet that Gary put together for us with some help from friends of his, that he put together that we're reading this week and we talk about humility. You know, this is a, a uniquely important biblical concept. Because you see, in the Greek and Roman world, the world to which Mary was born, and in the ancient world as well, Humility wasn't generally thought of as a very positive characteristic. Now, today we think of it pretty positively. If someone says, well, that person's really humble as opposed to really arrogant, we generally think of that as something good. But in the Roman and Greek world, they didn't talk about humility and humbleness as being a really positive characteristic. And in fact, it really comes, the word, the word comes from the word in the Greek that's used here, and it's used to translate the Hebrew in the Old Testament, typonos. It really means to, to bow down. It, it can be used for the word oppressed. It comes from the idea of lay flat. The idea of like when, when someone worships and, and lays down in worship and humility in honor of someone else. In Isaiah 53, where, where we read in our Bible, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away, speaking of the Messiah. The word oppression there in the Greek translation is the same word for humility. It means somebody of low rank in society. It meant somebody of low rank, a servant. It's not the same as modesty. It's not the same as modesty. It really indicates a social standing of low rank, that you are a servant. You know, when we went to, I've been to Israel twice, and um, one of the things that is, is kind of surprising, you know, Cliff, you can put that, you know, when, one of the places you go when you go to Israel is to Bethlehem, and you go to the, you go to the Church of the Holy Nativity, and you come to, this, to the Church of the Holy Nativity. In fact, to get in this church, um, most of us couldn't just walk through the door because it's about this high. And it was on purpose so that if the invading armies came, their horses or camels couldn't go through the door. So you squat down and you go in to the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem in Hebrew is Baith Lecham, house of bread or house of the baker. It was an insignificant, humble village, as the Bible tells us, as we read in our Advent readings this morning that Newell shared with us. It was a humble place. It was not an important place. It was a village. It's about a, you know, a day's walk from Jerusalem, down the hills into Bethlehem of Judea. And you go there, and you know, having grown up in our culture and, and this type of uh, scene, for the manger scene, when you go into the church, it's actually kind of like, it would be laid out sort of like this church, sort of a, a you know, sanctuary like this. And you go down in the corner down here, and you walk down the stairs, and you go down below to visit the site of the nativity, the birth of Jesus. And of course, this is what you see if you've been there. Um, it's kind of a shrine. And it sort of like hits you like, whoa, that's not what I expected to see. I expected, you know, a manger and animals and that kind of thing, you know. Well, the reason for that, this is the historical site. 
And it probably is the historical site because the church was built over it within the first couple centuries. And the fact, while you may not like the idea of a shrine, the fact is that the, the, the very fact that church was built over it is probably what's preserved it because it was never destroyed or um, damaged because of the honor even given to uh, the people of the book and the prophet. They can, the, even the Muslims consider Jesus a prophet. And so in the various wars and so forth, the church was never destroyed. And it's probably because it was built over that. But of course, in reality, that that place... What looks today, that place there, in reality, probably looked more like what you think about, like, like this. You, you probably can't even hardly make that out. But a cave, because in this area of, Jew, of Bethlehem, there are lots of these soft rock caves. And that's what you use for shelter. You didn't really build shelters for the animals. You could hardly afford to build shelters for the people. So you used the caves, and they were dark, and they were damp. And in wintertime, it would be damp and it would be colder uh, in this part of Judea. And this is the humble beginnings. This is the humble place, something like this, most likely, where Jesus, the King of Israel and the Lord of heaven and earth who created earth, was born. Humility. Humbleness. Humbleness. And you know, as our Lord grew and ministered, and, you know, our Lord was a, was, a, was a strong man. He was a strong man. And our Lord um, spoke words of judgment. He spoke harsh words. He spoke harsh words to those who were sinful and oppressive. He spoke harsh words to cities like Capernaum and said it's going to be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it is for you because you refuse to believe. He told his disciples, as we looked at last Sunday night in our evening service, uh, go out and preach, but if, if they reject you, shake off the dust and move on. He was a strong man. He was a man of justice. He was a man of, of, of judgment, of course, as God. But when we think of our Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to look at Matthew. In Matthew chapter 11, we have a, 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 an account from our Lord Jesus Christ that that really speaks to this whole character, this whole principle of humility. And then we try to put these two together. And in this culture where humility was not seen as a positive characteristic, the Lord Jesus Christ, and this, this actually is the account where he says in verse 23 of chapter 11, And you, Capernaum, will be lifted up to the skies. No, you will go down to the depths if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sada. It would have remained to this day, but I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. These are harsh and strong words. This is a man who, who, who is telling the truth and who is strong and is not afraid to tell the truth, of course. And then he looks to God at the same time and he, and he praises the Lord of heaven. And he says in verse 25, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children, to little children. He compares his disciples, these strong fishermen and tax collectors, as little children. And then I want you to notice what he says here in verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn, learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. My yoke is easy. It means my yoke fits well. You know, the rabbis often spoke of the, of the law of Moses as being a yoke, that they were yoked to, and then it was a heavy burden. And the Lord Jesus Christ looks out among these people who, had a, who were like sheep without a shepherd, he says, and he says, come unto me, all of you, all of you who are tired and are weary burdened and are, and are beaten down and are trying to keep this yoke, come unto me. Why? For I am gentle and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And my simple message today, friends, as we come to Christmas, and we have, we have lit the candle today of humility as our Advent thought, our Advent meditation for today. And I want you to think about this, you know, everything about this Christmas story. I appreciate what Pastor Kevin talked about, how when, as a young adult, when all of a sudden it was a whole new story for him as a believer. And we think about everything, everything associated with the Christmas story. You know, even the wise men that came from the east, you know, we, we kind of grew up singing, you know, we three kings and so on. But it never really says they were kings. They were wise men. And we assume they were really wealthy. We don't know that. These guys might have sacrificed everything to travel for two years because they apparently were astrologers. They may have come from the priestly class in Persia and they were astronomers who looked at the stars and they read something different. These men traveled for two years. They may have sacrificed everything they had to travel for two years and bring these gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ. The shepherds, Mary, Joseph, John the Baptist family, the city, Bethlehem, the village, the manger, the animals, everything about this story, everything about this story speaks of humbleness, humility, and the least likely way that this would happen. Just as in the story of Israel and in our lives, the least likely way that often we would have chosen is what God uses to teach us humility. And God was bringing a lesson to the world. And the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Savior, made it clear, as was read to us this morning, I have come not to be served, but to what? To serve. The Apostle Paul, as was read from Philippians chapter 2, that the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are to learn of Him, and He humbled Himself, humbled Himself not only to be born in a manger, but to live a life of, of common people. And I know that song we sang this morning, Trainer, that um, where it's talked about that his his couch was the sod. And I don't know if I've ever sang that stanza or not. Is that a, is that a hidden one, or is that one? <laughs> okay? I haven't seen that one before. But that idea of, of Jesus that his his couch was the sod of Galilee. This was his life, and to go to the cross of Calvary and, and die this humiliating death on the cross of Calvary for the worst of criminals. The Apostle Paul says to, to, to Gentiles, to the, to the nations, it's foolishness. It's an absolute joke. It's foolishness to try to proclaim a God who would die on a cross of Calvary. 
And Paul says to my fellow Jews, it's a stumbling block. They can't get over this. They can't, they can't get past this. It's a stumbling block because the Messiah was to come in royalty and to reign, not to die on the cross of Calvary. Everything about the story is humility and gentleness. And that is why Jesus, in his strength and his godliness, can say, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And in closing, what about us? What does that mean for us today? And I thought of a passage in Ephesians chapter 4. You know, if you look at the the constitution of our church, and we started in 1964, and our founders uh, put together what we call our doctrinal statement, which is really the heart of our constitution as a church, you'll notice that the, the preamble to that is, is from Ephesians chapter 4. This is really the passage that our church is built on. It has to do with unity. Now I want you to know what the Apostle Paul commands of the church, the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, believers in Christ Jesus, as a prisoner of the Lord then. Here's another case of all people to pick Saul of Tarsus and then make him a prisoner and to be the one to herald this message, to die as all the apostles died, as martyrs. I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Notice what he says. and just Live a life worthy of being called a Christian, the first thing he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, and this is what leads into our church doctrinal statement constitution, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Isn't that interesting? It is to me. That when the Apostle Paul says, I want you to live a life that is worthy of the calling you have as Christ ones, as Christians. Of all the things he could have said. Of all the things that he could have listed. The Holy Spirit inspires him to say, be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We are Christ ones. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am humble, and I am gentle. Friends, as we celebrate Christmas together, and as you prepare this week to celebrate Christmas, whatever your situation is, and we've been reminded today that Christmas is is a hard time. It's a difficult time, too. Uh, For many people, it will be a difficult week. For others, it's a joyous week. You know, we've got all the whole spectrum. And I just want to remind you that our call as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be humble and gentle. Not weak. The Bible never says that. The world misunderstands that concept. That's not weakness. Jesus was not weak. Jesus was not weak. He was the strongest man that ever lived because he was the God man and he never sinned. But he said, I am humble and I am gentle. And I want to challenge myself first and challenge you 
as we go to Christmas this week, what opportunities are you going to have to demonstrate that you are a Christ one? What opportunities, actual opportunities, are your, are, will come your way this week to be humble and to be gentle? Is there somebody this week, is it possible maybe each day this coming week, that you could consciously think in terms of, God, who would you have me demonstrate this to this week? Is there somebody in your place of work? Is there somebody that's a customer of yours that you are working for? Is there a fellow employee? Is there a neighbor? Is there a relative? That God will present you with an opportunity to be a servant, to serve, to be humble. Is there somebody God has brought across your mind that is not able to get out and would be just thrilled to have a visit from somebody this Christmas season, to receive a note of encouragement, maybe a phone call, maybe an email? Is there somebody in your context this week that you know is having some challenges in their life that you could step forward and give of your time and your heart and your love and to humble yourself and to serve as God has called us to serve? I suspect each one of us, if we open our eyes, will have that opportunity this week And I would suggest, as I know I do quite often, and I've been in pastoral ministry now for many years, and I I don't think I can ever overemphasize this. Start with those closest to you. If you can't do it for those closest to you, you can't do it for the world. When I uh, counsel in premarital counseling and other situations, and I remind, you know, if, if, you, if you have the attitude of a servant, if, if two people are here not to get, but to give, you can't go wrong. And whatever situation you're in, young people, it's just something you can do this week for your family, your parents, your siblings, to serve. Parents, there's something you can do for your young people and children to actually serve husbands, wives, friends, aunts, uncles, grandparents. What can you do to serve and to do what the Apostle Paul says? Be completely humble and gentle as our Lord Jesus Christ was and to show that Christian strength of character in becoming a servant to those closest to you. This Christmas season. We light the candle of humility. Let's light the candle in our heart of humility if we truly are Christ ones and to live as our Lord lived his life. Let's close our service. We have another beautiful Christmas song we're going to share together. And I too want to encourage you to join us if you can. On Christmas Eve, it's going to be a service primarily of music, readings, short devotional meditation, and invite you to come and join us on Christmas Eve. Thank you. That wasn't so hard, Ted. We got it. <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys. For, they're going to be leading singing next week as well. Pastor Kevin will be preaching next week, bringing us the word. And uh, as we go our way today...
I just want to remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all. All. That means you. And as we leave today, I want to remind you, and I know that maybe you, maybe you think, well, we, you say that all the time, and does it make any difference? No, I've been surprised over the years. People have come up to me and said, uh, you know, I received Christ sitting in a service at the end of a service. I didn't, I didn't say anything, but it was time. The Holy Spirit opened my heart, and I finally understood, yeah, I really I need salvation. And I understood how much God loves me, and that Jesus died on the cross and paid for my sin. And I quietly said yes to God and accepted the Lord. So as we leave today, I just want to encourage you. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you don't have to do anything for me or the church or any other church or any other person. It's between you and God. But I don't want you to leave without hearing once again how much God loves you. And that Jesus Christ did not stay in that manger. We're going to, we're going to put this away in a week from Saturday but as Christians, we don't put this away. It's connected with the story of Easter. And Jesus died and paid for your sin and rose from the dead and offers you forgiveness for sins and salvation. And Jesus said, come unto me all. That means you. Heavenly Father, I pray if there be a person here today that your Holy Spirit is clearly speaking to their heart. That they would humble themselves. And in humility, acknowledge their need for salvation, their need for forgiveness, and recognize how much you love them, that you died on the cross for their sins. Might that person, even in this quiet moment, simply say yes to you and receive the Lord as their Savior. And Father, as we go our way today, I pray that I pray for myself that I will be conscious of and understand the opportunities you open in my life for those closest to me and those I may not even know who I may come in contact this week, that I would be open and available to be humble and to serve as you have called us to serve in the name of Jesus Christ. And in his name, we leave rejoicing in the miracle of Christmas. Amen.